0: Jesus answers his question. He does prioritize two commands out of all the 613 above the rest. But those two commands summarize all the others. They truly summarize the rest of these commands. In other words, everything in life either has to do with our relationship to God or our relationship to other people. And that's the way God designed it. So Jesus is telling this man, if you get these two commandments right, then everything else falls into place underneath these two. So what does this religious scholar, this theologian, this scribe, what does he think about Jesus' answer? Well, look what he says, verse 32. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. And there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. See, the scribe comes to Jesus with this sincere question. He really wants to know what command is most important because that's the one he needs to give his attention to. Jesus gives him two commands. So the, the scribe affirms that Jesus is right. Nothing is more important than loving God with our whole being and then also loving others with the love God has loved us with. So what can we learn then from this interaction between Jesus and this scribe? Well, Jesus himself says that these are the two greatest commands. So if Jesus is saying that, I think we should probably listen up. We should probably do some self-evaluation and ask ourselves, are we abiding by these two commands? So that's what I want us to talk about today. What are these two commands really saying And how do we keep them? So the first question we need to ask then is how do I love God with all of my being? How do I love God with everything that I am? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, your whole self. Completely give everything you are to the Lord. How do you do that? You know, it's easy to say, well, you just need to love God. And then we go home, we hear a sermon like that, and we go home and you think, okay, ugh, how do I do that? Like, how do I muster up this affection? How do I muster up this love for God? Well, I think we see the answer here. Number one is this, be amazed at who he is and that he created us in his image. So the first way you can cultivate a love for God is by looking to him being amazed at who he actually is, and then also being amazed that you're created in his image. So here in verse 29 and 30, Jesus is actually quoting the Old Testament, right? I mean, the scribe asked him what's the most important command, and so Jesus gives him one of the Old Testament commands. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, where Moses was teaching the Israelites about what it looks like to love God So Jesus is quoting very directly here, but notice Moses and Jesus both bring our attention to God himself first before telling us to love him. Did you notice that? Look at verse 29 again. When Jesus answered, he said, the most important of all the commands is this, and he starts not with a command. He doesn't say just love God. He draws our attention to God and makes a theological statement here. He says, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what is Jesus and what was Moses saying to the people about what it looks like to love God? What they're saying is you have to know him to love him. You have to look at who he is and appreciate who he is to grow in your love for him. I mean, that's true about any relationship, isn't it? You really have to know somebody if you're going to cultivate a love for them. So, for example, if you're married, you know, if you are in a romantic relationship of any kind, if, if you're trying to, to get to know your spouse, right if you want to love your spouse, well you don't do that just by forcing this idea of love into your mind. You have to really look at them and start thinking about all the great character qualities and things you appreciate about them. The deeper you look at your spouse, the more that love for them will grow over time because you appreciate what is good and right and true. And so the same thing is true with our relationship to God. If we don't take the time to get to know Him, if we don't take the time to look at who He truly is, then no, your love for God will not grow. That's not something that can be forced. It's not something that can be manipulated or just willed into being. We have to look at God, meditate on how good He is. And then when we see His goodness... That love begins to grow. So, what is this statement saying then about God? When we look at Him, what do we see? Well, Moses and Jesus are both affirming that our God is the only God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, there's none like Him, no one. He is one. You know, the rest of the scriptures teach us that He exists in three persons. We call that doctrine the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one God. Now, that's not easy to understand. In fact, I would argue that it's not, you can't fully comprehend it or understand it. But we affirm it because the Scriptures teach it. So what we see then is that God himself is a perfect community of love. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father loves the son and always has in eternity past. The son loves the father and lovingly submits to his will. The spirit loves the son and points people to him. So God himself is a community of love. So the very idea of love originates within God himself. Love is not man-made. Love is not a concept That someone thought of for a great TV show or for a great romance in the ancient world. Love is in God Himself. It is a real characteristic essential to His very nature. 1 John chapter 4, Ken read this for us earlier, verses 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God, He's the originator of love. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because why? God is love. Okay. So what does that mean for us? As we look to God and we're amazed at who he is, that he is love, that love comes from him. Well, the Bible tells us that God creates humans in his image. So not only should we be amazed that love originates and is essential to God's character himself, but also we are created in his image. So that means that we, like our creator God, are relational beings. We are created to, just like him, thrive in relationships of self-giving and self-sacrificing love. That's what we were created to do. And As this first and greatest command states, the first place that happens, the first relationship that matters is ours with our Creator God. Meaning that we will only find our completeness and our fulfillment when we love Him with our whole selves. That is what you were created for. To love God with your whole self. And so any area of your life where that's not happening, yes, you will feel a lack of completeness. You will feel incomplete. You will feel like something is off. Something is wrong because you were created for love. But the first place that has to happen is to God, to be in a loving relationship with him. So how how can you love God with all of your being? Start with being amazed at who he is and then think about the fact that he created you for him. You're in his image. That means you are relational. You have the capacity to love. And that's only the way you will find true completeness and joy. But just knowing that truth is not enough. The second thing we see here is that we must surrender our whole lives to him out of gratitude for the gospel. So how do you want to grow in your love for God? Number one, look at who he is. Be amazed at his goodness and love that it comes from him. Be amazed that he created you to love him. But then for that love to continue to grow, you're going to have to make a conscious effort to surrender yourself to him in gratitude for what he's doing for you. If God is a loving relational being who desires to be in a loving relationship with us, then how do we enter into that relationship? Well, we enter it by embracing his love already given to us. Isn't it interesting that Jesus tells this scribe that he's not far from the kingdom of God? That's an interesting statement, isn't it? In other words, this scribe is beginning to see, he's beginning to understand truth, but there's still something missing. There's just something missing. You see, the scribe was not far from the kingdom because he rightly understood that religious actions were not going to gain him a good standing before a holy God. That's why he says that whole burnt offerings right, and sacrifices are not going to be enough. And he may have very well had Psalm 51 in mind when he said that. Psalm 51, 16 and 17, look at this. David cries out to God, says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In other words, David recognizes that we can go through the religious motions, right? Right? You can do all the things that Christians are supposed to do and you can check off that box one by one. But at the end of the day, what God really wants is your heart. And all those other things will fall into place if you give him yourself. And so the scribe rightly realizes that a relationship of sacrificial love is more substantial, is more valuable than any religious offering or duty, but he doesn't see yet that Jesus is the sacrifice needed to bring him into that relationship with God. That's why Jesus says he's not far from the kingdom, but he's missing the most essential piece. He's missing Christ. Again, look at 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Not for ourselves, but through him, his substitution of grace in our place. In this is love, verse 10, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The payment for our sins. So how how do we know what true love is? How do we know what true love is? We look to the one who is love and we see that true love is sacrificial. It always puts the interests of others before its own. That's exactly how God has loved us in the gospel. Jesus willingly and sacrificially gave up his interests for ours. He gave up his life for ours. I mean, think about that. We were very much unlovable. I mean. You may consider yourself a very lovable person, but I guarantee you there's somebody in your life who would probably say, you're not as lovable as you think, right? They may be sitting beside you right now. Don't, no elbows, okay? But here's the thing about all of us. We're very unlovable. At the core in our hearts, oh, we're sinful people. Oh, we're selfish for sure. Sure. We're very unlovable because of our sin. In fact, the Bible tells us that before Christ, we were enemies of God. We didn't really want anything to do with him. I mean, we may use him. We may attach him to our lives to get some kind of good social perception from everyone, but ultimately our hearts didn't belong to him. We were enemies of him. Yet Jesus still shows us that true and perfect love is a sacrifice because he died for people who didn't want anything to do with him, you and I. He surrendered his life as a payment for our sin. He died in our place, and that's the death that you and I should have died. We should have died for our own sin, yet Jesus steps in and takes that penalty for you. Now you tell me that's not true love. That is sacrifice. That is love. John 15, 13 says it well. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Because of what Jesus has done for you, God can call you a friend. Not an enemy. Not any longer. 1 John four nineteen tells us we love because he first loved us. So when you meditate on the gospel and how truly loved you are, you know what happens? Your heart begins to fill with gratitude. And guess what? Your love for God and your eagerness to obey him and please him will flow out of that gratitude. That's where it comes from. It's gratefulness. It's thankfulness. When we realize that we are loved supremely, by the one God, the one creator, the only God, then we are more ready and willing to submit our lives in full devotion and surrender to him instead of all the other gods that we've tried to submit to in the past. When we realize that the one true God in whom love originates, essential to his character, we're made in his image, we're made to love him, we're made for him, When we realize these things and we look at the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, how can we not be thankful? How can our hearts not truly be grateful? If you're truly captivated by God's love for you, how could you ever love anything else more than him? Jesus and Moses both say there's only one God so in other words, there's only one thing worthy of your full devotion. Nothing else in this world is worthy because nothing else, you, else can love you like that. So how do we show our thankfulness to God? How do we love Him with our whole being? We surrender our lives to Him. We listen to Him in His Word. We, we talk to Him in prayer. We express thankfulness for what He's given us and, and we trust Him for what's to come that we don't yet know. We ask for wisdom to apply his truth to our daily circumstances. It's a relationship. And so you want to commune with him. You spend time with him. And let me just speak very practically to some of us. You know, sometimes, listen, I don't want to stand here and pretend like it just comes so naturally all the time to every Christian, because I know that's not true. There will be days where you don't feel like reading your Bible, where you don't feel like praying. But I would argue that there may be days where you don't feel like being a good father or a good husband or a good mom or a good wife or whatever, but that doesn't change the fact that you are that person. And so sometimes you have to just push through. And let me just say, sometimes I think we have to discipline ourselves to yes, take the Bible, open it up to wherever you are in your study and God's word and just do it anyways. I'm serious. Because sometimes you just have to discipline yourself to actually do what is necessary for the word to get into your mind and then let the Holy Spirit work it down into your heart. Even if in the moment, emotionally, you just don't feel like it. Surrender. Surrender in that daily discipline to the Lord and watch the gratitude grow. Watch the gratefulness grow. And then watch the love for God grow in your heart. You'll see it. That's how we can truly devote ourselves, our full beings to God. But how do we, what about that second command? How do I love people? How do I love my neighbor as myself? In other words, how do I love people freely and fully? Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do you love yourself? Think about that. Oh, we love ourselves, right? I mean, we love ourselves very freely. We don't put restraints on our love for ourselves. We love ourselves very fully. In other words, to the greatest extent. We're always thinking about ourselves and how, to, how our lives could be better for our own selfish gain and interest. So how do we turn that towards others? How do we love people freely and fully like that? Well, really just one thing, I think. I think we love them as you have been loved by God. The love in which you've received, you simply extend that same kind of love to others. John 15, 12, Jesus says it very plainly. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So how do you love one another? In some way that the world tells you to? In some way that TV or the internet or Netflix tells you to? No. How do we love other people? We love them, Jesus says, as I have loved you. So the primary way that you will know you've accepted and truly appreciate God's love is that you will mimic his love to others in your life. You see, the gospel of Jesus makes us selfless, not selfish, selfless. Why? Because it melts away our pride. It makes us realize how much, how sinful we really are and how much of a savior we really need. And so there's really no room for us to think too highly of ourselves, especially in relation to others, because we realize that they they need the same savior that we need, right? It melts away our pride, it melts away, it takes away that need for self-preservation. It grows your compassion and sympathy for others because you want others to know the same love that you have already experienced. You see, God God loves you freely, and he loves you fully. He doesn't hold anything back. His love for you is generous. It's without restraint. And let me just ask you, is that how we love others? Do we really put the interests of others before our own? Do we really go out of our way to make make sure other people's lives... Are doing well and that they're happy and that they're joyful do we want that in others I don't think we do in fact I'll tell you why because on a Saturday afternoon if you go to Ocean Park at Jacksonville Beach in the parking lot there I got news for you you're not getting a parking space unless it gets real cutthroat all right so here's what you got to do just a little tip you drive into the parking lot and then you pull over and you just wait You just wait for somebody to back out and you turn your blinker on but if another car comes up and they turn their blinker on it's like we're about to fight you know what I'm saying (laughs) and I'm speaking because I've done this right so it's very selfish though there's not any way in a million years I'm giving up that parking space because I've been sitting there waiting for it I'm not giving it to the other person who comes up right why not well because I want my own life to be easy. I want my own life to be comfortable in that moment. I don't really care if that person doesn't get a parking spot. You see, I think that mentality carries over into every single part of our lives. It's a very me first mentality. And that translates into the way we treat other people. You see, we think that we love people, but when it comes down to it, ultimately we're gonna do whatever it takes for the betterment of our own lives. But that's why when we look to the gospel and we hear what Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you, well, that's a completely different ballgame. That, tur- that turns our world upside down. That's the kind of love we are not used to loving with. Truly putting others before our own, before ourselves, before our own interests. If you are secure in God's love for you through Jesus, then you don't have to use others for your personal gain because you know that you've already been given everything you could ever want. The love of God for you is so great to you. You cherish it so much. It's so valuable. You're so secure in that that you no longer manipulate others to try to get them to serve you in some way. You've already been given the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. J.D. Greer, pastor in North Carolina, says, those who truly believe the gospel show it by becoming like the gospel. And so I ask you, what sacrifices are you making for your neighbor? What sacrifices really? Are you only loving when it's convenient to the people in your life? Are you only treating them with kindness because you know ultimately it makes, it's a good reflection on you? Jesus died for his enemies. Died. Didn't just give us a pat on the back. Didn't didn't just give us a get out of jail free card. No, he died. Do you see that? He sacrificed the ultimate, infinite cost of himself for you. And now he's telling you to love people like that. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. But again, it starts with gratitude. The more grateful we are for what we've been given, the easier it is to give to others. The more secure we are in the love of God and that our eternal future is secure and there's really nothing we have to attach ourselves so so tightly to in this world, the more we understand that, the easier it is to love others the same way we've been loved. And by the way, Jesus said, love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor, by the way? It's everybody. It's everyone. It's everyone. It's your fellow man. I think there's a significant point in this dialogue to make about the scribe when Jesus said he's not far from the kingdom and how how we relate to non-Christians searching for truth in today's world. I think it's worth noting here how many people in our lives, like this scribe, are sincerely looking for answers. Maybe there's somebody in your life who's not far from the kingdom of God. And they're searching for that final missing piece in their lives, just as this scribe was. But one reason, perhaps they're not turning to Christ as the answer for, to be their greatest love is because they've never seen his love demonstrated by the Christians that they do know. Could that be the case? In John chapter 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you That you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, who will know? All people. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, a watching world who doesn't accept Jesus as God, a watching world who doesn't care about God or Christianity or much less Jesus' death and resurrection in their place, a watching world, all they want to see at that stage in the game is that you care about them. We can't overestimate how much our lives represent God to others. I mean, think about that. If a non-Christian, if a non-Christian, if they're determined that they're not gonna come to church with you, they're not gonna read their Bible, or a Bible, right? What's what's their first impression then of Christianity? It's not going to be the Bible. It's not even going to be church or some religious experience. It's you. You are their first impression of a Christian. So that's their only perception. What have you shown them? What have you demonstrated to them? What do our lives say about the love of God? Does your life say that the love of God is great? The love of God is something that you cherish and it's something that you're so willing and eager to pass on to others. Is that what your life speaks to a watching world? Can someone look at your life and see God's love is enough for you? Or do you just look like the rest of the world trying to attach your love and your heart and your affection to the things of this world to make you happy, and so really there's no difference between your life and theirs. You just go to church and they don't. And is there clear evidence in our lives that the love of God is enough for us? Is there clear evidence in our lives that we've surrendered truly all that we are, with all of our being, to the one holy God who rules all creation? Is there evidence of that? Can people look at our lives? Do they see us being transformed? Do they see sacrifice? Do they see selflessness in the way that you deal with your family, your friends, your work? You know, So many people around us may not be far. They may not be far from the kingdom of God. Yet how tragic if the biggest obstacle preventing them from entering is no clear evidence that God's love truly changes anyone. You know, Jesus was quick to engage with the lost and dying world. He didn't avoid them. He went to them and he loved them. That's what he did for us. We were that lost and dying world. You were before you knew Christ. That's what he did for you. Living completely. We were living completely for this world and its treasures. Our love was attached to things, but God intervened in your life. And he brought you to faith in Jesus. And so who in your life, who in your life needs the gospel? Who in your life needs to see the redemptive love of Jesus in action? Are you showing them that love? Are you loving them as God continues to love you freely and fully? We're not going to grow in our love for each other, and we're not going to grow in our love for God unless first look at who he is and meditate on the goodness of the gospel every day. That's the trick. It really is. Maybe you're here today and you just feel stagnant, you know? Like you just feel like you're in a rut spiritually, kind of spinning your wheels a little bit. I just want to challenge you with this question, but are you really? Like, are you really trying and digging into God's word every day? Are you really meditating on the gospel? How often are you thanking Jesus verbally out loud for what he's done for you? For dying for your sins. I mean, listen, if we're, if we're attaching ourselves to the world and just kind of ignoring Jesus except for Sunday mornings, well, of course we're gonna feel like we're in a spiritual rut. Don't be surprised by that. But the good news is Jesus is faithful and he loves you right now Even if you're spending your own spiritual wills a little bit, he loves you. And you can easily turn back to him and just confess, Lord, I'm sorry. I am sorry that I have been just wandering, doing my own thing, attaching my heart to the things of this world and not really seeking you, not putting you first, not looking to you first so that my gratitude for you will grow and my love then will grow for you. Just confess that to the Lord today. Discipline yourself. Like I said earlier, get into God's word. Even when you don't feel like it, just make the time. We do things every day that we may not feel like doing. But my goodness, let's let at least that be one of them. The Lord loves us freely and fully. He's committed, he's dedicated, he's faithful to us even when we're unfaithful. May we be so grateful for that every day. And may we cherish the opportunities to extend that same kind of perfect sacrificial love to the people in our lives that God has placed there for you to be a witness to. What a golden opportunity you have to show somebody in your life who doesn't know Christ the true love of God. A love in which this world cannot compete with. A love this world probably really doesn't know nothing about. But show them. Express it. Demonstrate it. As Jesus said, as he loved us, let's love others the same way. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we confess to you our lack of love. Lord, we confess that in the deepest part of our hearts, there is so much selfish motive, self-centeredness, Lord, where we're just only thinking about what we need in the moment and how we can benefit somehow. Lord, in our marriages, and our parenting, in our work, with our friends, Lord, in every area of life, Lord, we struggle with this. So we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to change us and transform us. But that's not going to happen if we neglect to spend time with you, if we neglect to dwell at your goodness, Jesus, what you've done for us in your life, death, and resurrection, in our place Lord, how can we ever grow in our love for someone if we don't really take the time to get to know them? God, that is so true with you. So forgive us. Lord, have mercy on us. Jesus, forgive us for where we have failed at this. But help us. Lord, we are crying out for help today that you would cultivate a gratitude, a deep gratitude in our hearts. For your goodness, of your love, your sacrifice, your death for us, the eternal future you've secured for us, Lord, let us look to the cross and look to heaven and look at how you're faithful to us now in our worst moments and be so thankful that we can't help but praise you with our lives and we can't help but want others to experience that same kind of love, that true, perfect love you give. Lord Jesus, would you help us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love them as you have loved us, regardless of their life circumstance or what we think of them. Lord, we were ugly. We were unlovable. We were unfaithful. Yet you loved us. Lord, may we do the same to a watching world. Thank you, Jesus, for this love and all you give us every day. Give us grateful hearts. Give us joyful hearts as we leave this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen.